So here we are today talking about Jonah, and most of us have a framework or context. You know, you see a brief clip like that. We kind of get the idea, and we have a, a perspective about Jonah. Most people have heard the story and have a general idea. But what our focus has been is walking through each book of the Bible and where Jesus is discovered in that book. Jonah is a really unique Bible in the way uh, he is actually a type of Christ, a shadow of Christ. Remember John 5, Jesus said, the Scriptures speak of me, meaning everywhere we look in Scripture, it's going to speak of Christ because the New Testament had not yet been written. So in every Old Testament book, Jesus is very uniquely and profoundly revealed. We've learned through this process that the Old Testament is, think about this, the Old Testament is richly furnished, yet dimly lit. So what we want to do is try and shine a light on some of those things and take a look. Uh, a type or a shadow of Christ is that which kind of is a, it speaks about the Messiah that would come in Jonah's day. So Jonah, uh, we see through Jonah a number of things, but his obedience brought incredible transformation. And I want to show you why that's so significant, particularly with Nineveh today. But Jesus, obviously his obedience brought world transformation. Uh, Jonah and Jesus both carried their message first to the Jews, then to the Gentiles. Jonah and Jesus both had the message that they carried refused by the Jews and embraced by the Gentiles. This is interesting. Both of them slept in a boat during a storm, and both of them had this unusual three-day experience from which they emerged to bring an amazing transformation to their world. Jonah, three days in the belly of the whale, and Jesus, three days in the belly of earth. So like this is a totally amazing story about how God is the God of a second chance. How many of you in this room are glad God is a God of second chances? Anybody made mistakes and you're just thankful that like God comes back and brings it around again? And we'll see that from a standpoint of Scripture. But this is really an amazing book about grace. So let me just explain one thing. Uh, like Jonah was swallowed by the whale and he was spit up, right, from the whale. So grace is he came out that end when he could have actually had him come out the other end. Just saying that is one expression of grace when we're looking at all this and evaluating. I think it's also interesting to note, just from a standpoint, we need to recognize what grace and judgment really is. So I'll give it to you this way just so we can kind of in our minds have a benchmark. How many of you in this room have been driving up to an intersection and when you started coming to that intersection, the light turned yellow and you knew that you didn't have time to get through the intersection legally, but you were in a hurry, so you went on through that light and you know you shouldn't have. Raise your hand if that's you. Sinners, raise your hand. Thank you. Okay, very good. And you said something like this, I hope there are no cops around, right? That's the expression of grace. I'm believing for grace. Now, now on the flip side, how many of you have ever uh, seen somebody do something crazy and like they run a light or they do something and you think to yourself, where is a cop when you need one, right? So that's judgment. So we have grace and we have judgment. When Faith, my 16-year-old uh, daughter now, 
started driving, uh, one of the first experiences she ever had on the road, we talked about when you change lanes, don't slow down. She's being real careful. So she would change lanes and let off the accelerator. And I said, you can't slow down. People behind you will get angry. And many of them attend our church. And so you have to make sure you're keeping your rate of speed. And she slowed down and a guy behind her got so mad, he, uh, he did like crazy stuff and road rage to my 15 and a half year old daughter zipped around her and you know like took off driving recklessly crazy and as soon as he did that it was like it was beautiful the lights came on the siren began to scream and a cop pulled the guy over and yes we felt very justified by the Lord in that moment in time and I was able to take and use that as a teaching point to my daughter as I explained to her that police officers actually have a secret app on their iPhone that tells them when someone is about to break the law so every time anybody breaks the law driving the police are there so make sure you don't speed it was a great and beautiful point I was able to make to my daughter. Jonah chapter 1 verses 1 to 3, the word of the Lord came to Jonah. If you've not passed down the books, do that and take out your note cards. I want to walk you through a few ideas here. The word of the Lord came to Jonah. Just that in and of itself is a beautiful expression. I want you to hear what I'm saying. God spoke to Jonah. How many of you would love to hear the voice of God? How many of you know if God starts having a conversation with you, he's going to stretch you, enlarge you, challenge you, change you, transform you, and Put an assignment in your life that would uh, really change your life and potentially change your world. That's what happened with Jonah. The word of the Lord came to Jonah, go to the great city of Nineveh and preach against it. Preach against this great city of Nineveh because its wickedness has come up before me. Verse 3, all of us can relate, but Jonah ran away from the Lord, and he headed to Tarshish. Interesting that he heard the word of the Lord, but he didn't obey the word of the Lord. This is where, uh, you know, we can start to identify with the human side of Jonah, and, you know, what was his problem, right? You know, just obey. Why don't we just obey? Why don't we just obey? Isn't it that easy? You know, isn't it that easy that we would just obey? It always seems easier to see. Like now we know the whole story looking back. It's just like, Jonah, what's your problem? Why didn't you do what, what you knew God told you to do? How many of you know hindsight is what? 2020. In other words, after you walk through something, looking back, you can see it with greater clarity. So like, what was I thinking is a hindsight is 2020 uh, ex- expression. So maybe you think of the person you once dated and you think to yourself, what was I thinking to date that person? How many of you can identify and relate? Maybe you actually married them and now you're sitting here next to them. But you know, what was I thinking? Maybe you did something or you said something, right? Some action and you think, what was I? Th-? I drove with my feet one time. Like for real, my friend was in the car and, uh, and he said, like, I heard about this guy, and he didn't have any arms, and he had to drive with his feet. And I said, well, no big deal. Like, anybody could do that. Well, I have two feet. And he said, oh, yeah, prove it. Okay. I was really young, really dumb. And I did. I proved that I could drive with my feet. I used my right foot to steer, 
and my left foot to push on the accelerator just a little bit. And if you've driven, you know that you're, if like you ever try and push the accelerator with your left foot, I dare you to try that this week, okay? Just sometime when you're driving, just take off with your left foot as opposed to your right. And what I learned in that moment in time that it's harder to push a little bit with your left foot than it is with your right. Your right has this ability to be gentle. Your left foot doesn't so much. And so I literally had my foot on the steering wheel and I pushed the accelerator and went so hard it jumped. My foot went through the steering wheel. The blinker caught my leg. I was in a left turn. I could not come out of the left turn. I smashed into a car in a left turn lane because I was trying to hit the brake. And your left foot doesn't really know where the brake or the accelerator. And when I was trying to hit the brake, I kept hitting the accelerator and the car. Like I ran all the way down this car, ramming into it. And the lady is just going, you know, why are you attacking me? What was I thinking? How many of you know I wasn't thinking? Here's the worst part of that story. I wasn't even 16 years old yet. Like, what was I, what were my parents thinking? Where are my parents? What were you thinking? You know, that's what I want to say. How many of you have a 2020 moment? You can think about a time in your life and you look back and you see it so clearly. Here's the point I want to make to you. Like, God sees things 2020 from the beginning. He actually knows the beginning, the end, all of that in between. He was, he is, he forever will be. You and I, I know this is kind of getting a little deep, but you and I in the fall of humanity, suddenly time and temporal confinement existed. It didn't exist before. Like God's eternal. We were created. How many of you are going to live forever? Can I just see? Raise your hand if you're going to live forever, okay? Like everybody's going to live forever. We have to make a decision to accept Christ to determine where we're going to live forever, but everybody's going to live forever. We're eternal creatures. And so God's not limited and confined in this time. I, I don't know how, but like the, the, the Bible says the lamb was slain from the foundation of the world. That means before it happened, somehow it happened. I mean, that's kind of crazy, isn't it? You're trying to fit all this eternal truth into our temporal mindset. If the lamb was slain from the foundation of the earth, and that actually happened somehow before it happened, what that means is you and I were fixed before we were broken, so we really have no excuse. God has redeemed us, restored us, called us by name, prepared us, equipped us, empowered us. Everything you have is discovered in Christ. Come on, give him praise today. Let's celebrate and declare he is a God of second chances and wonderful grace. It's amazing when you think about this and you look at, okay, then God has 2020 right up front. And in the midst of his ability to see things clearly right up front, that means if we can just learn to do what he says, when he says, then we'll be much better off. If we can just learn to do what he says, when he says, we'll be much better off. But let's cut Jonah a little bit of slack. Let's understand something maybe uh, you know, just basic read of Scripture, you wouldn't necessarily understand. That's part of my job to help you understand a little more of context, history, and so on. What city was he called to? Nineveh. Everybody say Nineveh. All right, he was called to this great city of Nineveh. Not great because it was good, 
not great because it was awesome, great because it was highly influential and profoundly dangerous to their particular uh, generation and age. And we need to see this so that we can understand a little bit of why he ran. And this is gruesome, okay? I'm going to give you some gruesome facts. First service, I could tell it kind of hit them hard. Uh, so this is a little bit gruesome, but, but just understand the picture here. God tells Jonah, go to Nineveh. Now, Jonah is a highly esteemed person among the Jews and among God's people. So like going there, they'll come out and meet him with gifts, right? Wherever he shows up, he's bringing the word of the Lord. And so they want the word of the Lord to be good. But when he moves beyond the Jews over to the Gentiles, they're not going to come greet him with gifts. And in fact, these people are pretty ruthless in Nineveh when anybody opposes them. They literally filleted people alive for sport in Nineveh. Uh, archaeological findings show us some really unique and horrific torture uh, techniques that they use, and I've got a few of those pictures here. You can see the top left is uh, a depiction of what happened to people who opposed Nineveh. That is a totem pole of human skulls. And they literally had totem poles of human skulls placed various places in the city to remind everybody, do not oppose the greatness of Nineveh. The other two pictures you see, you, if you can make them out okay, but they are humans impaled on a stick, on a pole, on a spear. Not only are they impaled on the spear, but if you can see the top right one, uh, the hands and feet of those humans are actually on the ground. So this is horrific. Like what we're talking about here are horrific torture techniques that Nineveh used to communicate, do not, do not oppose us. Okay, how many of you can get a little better picture why Jonah ran now? Can, can, uh, like, I wouldn't want to go. <laughs> Lord, are you sure? Like, Lord, have you lost your mind? How many of you ever thought that was God? God, have you lost your mind? You want me to what? And, and that's what was going on. So Jonah runs and he, he tries to get away. I mean, it's no wonder, but God's plan, regardless of Jonah's fear, God's plan was actually to reach this seemingly unreachable city. And I love this. So remember, we started this, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, right? He ran, and now Jonah 3, 1 to 3, then the word of the Lord came to Jonah a second time. You just got to understand something. That, in and of itself, could be the most beautiful expression in the entire book. And as I was here this morning, just walking and praying, worship teams preparing, and I'm just kind of back over in the back praying and seeking God, and I just felt like the Holy Spirit said that in this moment, in this message, that I needed to communicate. How many of you want to hear something that, you, that the Lord has, I mean, like God wants to have a conversation. I felt like the Lord was saying in this moment, in this message, that I was to communicate that some of you feel like certain dreams in your life have died. Some of you have abandoned the expectation of a dream God gave you at some stage or some season or some point in your life because maybe you made mistakes, maybe it just didn't work out the way you thought. Some people, I felt like God was saying in this room today, in this moment, there would be some people could identify and feel like they've missed out or lost out because the dream died. And I just want to say, 
you can take, if it's from God, you can take it, you can slice it, you can dice it, you can put hands and feet on a cross and throw it back on the wood and nail it to that cross and after it dies, bundle it up, mummify it, stick it in a tomb, hire guards, threaten them within an inch of their life, put a Roman seal over the tomb. If it's from God, folks, it's coming back to life. Nobody can stop what is born from the Spirit of God from living again. Embrace that dream that God established in your life. Then the word of the Lord came a second time. Go to the great city of Nineveh and proclaim to it the message I give you. Jonah obeyed the word of the Lord, and he went to Nineveh. Now, Nineveh was a very large city, and it took three days to go through it. So here's some a little deeper theological study. If you're interested, you can go to our blog, and I always blog out messages a little more extenuated, uh, so that you can, a little more extensively, so that you can take a look. But there's an interesting debate and discussion here, and this actually says that he walked through Nineveh for how many days, proclaiming liberty? Three days. You catch that? And so there's an interesting verse. We find it in 1 Peter 3, 18 and 19. Again, this is a type of Christ. And this says in 1 Peter 3, Christ was put to death in the flesh, but made alive in spirit in which he went and proclaimed to the spirits in prison. Now, that's interesting because Jesus died and three days later, he came back to life. And theologically, there's some discussion and debate, and, and we evaluate all of this and dig into this further in Scripture. But there are many who would teach and believe and declare that Jesus, when he died, he, and there is another verse that says he ascended, uh, descended. <clears throat> Jesus, when he died, there are many that would teach he actually descended into hell kicked the back door open out of hell and declared that there would never again be anybody that would be tormented or distracted or taken away from the presence of God if they believed on the Lord Jesus Christ. In the course of those three days, this is a, again a tie-in expression of Jonah taking three days, walking through Nineveh, declaring the kingdom of God has come and victory belongs to anyone who will embrace. Well, that's exactly what happened. They did embrace Jonah 3.10 when God saw what they did and how they turned from their evil ways. He relented he, and he did not bring on them the destruction that he had threatened. I, several things here. Let's, let's just walk through this together. This huge storm descended, right, on the region. Like when he was in the boat in disobedience, a huge storm descended. Now, I, I want to just address to you a little bit as we progress along in our political climate as a nation, I want to reiterate a few things that I kind of say along the way. I really think it's a huge mistake for us to grind our axe and demonize people who don't believe the same way that we believe and position ourselves in hateful arrogant attitudes, blaming and assessing blame to the bad people of this world. I, I, follow me, think about this. 
Jonah was in disobedience, and because he ran in disobedience, he got on a boat, and a huge storm descended that day. Is it possible that because the people of God have not taken their rightful place, that storms have descended on our nation, and it's just easier to blame bad people than it is to take responsibility for our place and our position? Like, let's evaluate this. Because I I think the church needs to stop being filled with such judgmental accusation, a spirit of divisiveness, and and, and recognize God's called us to take responsibility, folks. I'd like a better witness on that in the church. Because I'm trying to address some things here that we as the church would stop saying, it's all the prostitutes in the world. It's all the hookers. It's all the drug dealers. It's all the people that believe this or believe that. And they're the big problem. Listen, I want you to know, when Jonah got in alignment with his assignment, when the man of God said, I'm going to step up and do what God has asked me to do, the capital city of paganism, a horrific place, suddenly turned to God in one single day. Is it possible that if the church will rise up and be the church the way Jesus wants the church to be, that our nation will turn to God in a single day. It's like we come up with all our political conclusions and we determine our political solutions and I think God's just back there saying, why polarize so poisonously? Let's step up. I can't just get angry about everything I cannot control. I have to be effective about what I can control. I can't control what people are doing out beyond my reach, but I can reach into the lives of people that are within my reach and show them the life of Jesus and the love of Christ and the kingdom of God has come. Come on! Let's declare it right now. The kingdom has come. Let's declare God's kingdom has come. Will you proclaim it with me? The kingdom of God has come. We are here to declare Jesus is alive. This is not about formulating religious opposition to the things that we hate. Shocker, God doesn't hate the world. For God so loved the world. Mm. I think religiosity has hijacked the plane and taken the church into a place of great ineffectiveness. And I just say, it's time to wake up. I, I, I... I don't have it all figured out. I'm not telling you what all the answers are, but I think we need to have an honest conversation where the church stops acting like we have all the answers and we simply say, we don't know what all the answers are, but we do know Jesus and we do know God and his his love and he wants us to embrace it and and truthful honesty, don't back away from truth. Uh, All those things exist in the midst of all this. I'm not in any way trying to lessen the, the brunt and the pain of sometimes being honest and truthful, but truthful relationship. You understand, relationship gives us entrance. And when we're required to stand up and make broad stroke declarations that just polarize, we gotta learn to have entrance into the lives of people. I, I'm, I'm just not even preaching now. I'm just saying. <laughs> I think the church can change the world. I think the church is God's hope to change the world. Hmm. The problem in our world, I'll give you a few, a few tidbits why I feel so strongly about this. The problem in our world, good statement, right in your blank. 
problem in our world is not the abundance of darkness. The problem is the absence of light. I mean, that's a really basic. When you turn the lights on at home, I, you, you just got to know this. Like, you can have a small light bulb in a room. And when you go in and flip on that switch, you might have a little bitty light bulb in a great big dark room. And the little bitty light bulb takes care of the great big dark room. Like, you don't turn the little bitty light bulb on and it just is, and goes out. That's not what happens. Like, if the light is on, the darkness is gone. There's not a battle here. Darkness exists where light does not. Darkness does not exist where light is. Let there be light. We are the light of the world. Jesus wants to shine through us. The problem's not the abundance of darkness. The problem is the absence of light. Your decisions affect more than just you. What if your life is a point of entry for God's kingdom to invade the earth and push back darkness? What if your life, you, you, I'm talking to you, what if your life is a a point of entry for God's kingdom to invade the earth and push back darkness? I start doing that when I start getting excited, don't I? Somebody... Oh, hallelujah. It's a baptismal service happening early. Somebody told me earlier today, I've bent my podium here. This side was all bent down. I got to stop banging on it on the corner and I got to bang on it more center. I just want to say, what if your life is a point of entry? What if you need to get passionate about some things God's trying to reveal so that heaven can be released in the earth? What if the Bible actually said this is true? Like the Bible does say this is true. You want me to give you a few verses? Matthew 16 says, the gates of hell shall not prevail against the politically empowered structure, against the people that get it all right legally, against the people that have it all right religiously. No, the gates of hell will not prevail against the church. The church. This is why I'm passionate about leading a church. I know church has its issues. I know we have our issues. If you get close enough to me, you're going to see my issues. We all have them. Welcome to a place full of people with issues that just want to serve the Lord. And hopefully we'll be more like him next month than we were last month. And we're all on a journey just trying to find our way. So we might as well stop hurling insults in every direction and just focus on the things God wants us to focus on. Amen. Hallelujah, brother. Preach it. The gates of hell will not prevail. I used to run down and like sit in the seat and shout an amen. I can't do that in the new building. Now it takes too long to run down. The gates of hell will not prevail against the church. Second Chronicles 714. If my people who are called by my name will humble themselves and pray and turn from their wicked ways, I will hear from heaven and heal their land. What if God's waiting on us? Listen to this. Psalms 24-7. Lift up your heads. Oh, ye gates. Now, uh, look, this is it. This is how we do it. England left the European Union. My 401k, the stock market, 500, 600 points. Lift up your head, oh, ye gates. 
Who's this talking about? Lift, this is the people of God. Lift up your head, O ye gates. Be lifted up, O ancient doors, that the king of glory may come. What if you are a point of entry? Lift up your head, O ye gates, that the king of glory, that Jesus might come in and have his way in your situation and circumstance. Believers are the gates through which God releases the influence of heaven in the earth. We are the gates. Would you say it with me? We are the gates. Let's say it again. We are the gates. Listen, there's a point of entry in your home that happens when you surrender to Christ. There's a point of entry in your workplace, in your community, in your grocery store, in your restaurant. Like God will prompt you to do things like hold the door for somebody, pay for somebody's groceries, be kind, be loving, be Christ-like. You become the point of entry for heaven to invade the earth. I'm just talking about basic, let's get back to be nice Christianity again. Like Jesus. And I know Jesus was pretty rough. He kicked over a table or two, didn't he? That happened in the church, addressing the religious crowd that was abusing the system that God was trying to reveal and release. I think we see a pattern here. God's trying to get his people positioned to impact the world. Listen, we got some amazing stuff. I, I don't know about you, I'm crazy excited that God has chosen us to be a point of entry for heaven to invade the earth. We have 52 people being baptized tonight right here on this property. Come on. More than 50 people. More than 50 people tonight right out here. They're going to take a step forward and say, I'm taking a step forward in my relationship with Christ. And Everybody on this property, they're going to see that happen. I just want to, like, at dark, we're going to have fireworks. <laughs> kaboom, you know, all over. Like, that's not like little throw a firecracker like that. I'm talking, you know, boom. <laughs> dark, this is going to happen. And, like, I've had people come to me. and I, I'm meddling a little bit here, but I've had people come to me and say, Pastor, why are we just burning money? You might as well just light Money on fire. That's somebody tell me that. I, I personally think it's pretty important to let the community know that we're not here just to get something from them, but to give something to them. And so, like, I'm excited about an estimated 2,000 people that gather all around the community to watch our fireworks show on a Sunday night, the last Sunday in the month of June. You know who, you know, people call us two things in the community. People call us, you're the fireworks church. That's what they tell me. Oh yeah, you pastor, you lead that fireworks church. And then the other one is, you're that church that looks like a casino down there. <laughs> Come on, double down for Jesus, baby. Those of you who aren't laughing don't know the rest of you sinners. So like, so like how, how do we do this? How, car show, last Sunday, first annual Father's Day car show. Come, I want to just say thank you. Those of you that helped, you volunteered, would you lift your hand, you help with that event, just hold up your hand. I just want to say thank you, great big thank you to our Destiny 
people that helped in every way, set up. So great, so great just to have a focus for dads like that. I mean, to me, like, I drove by a sign one time, a church, and I saw the sign, and it said, eternity, smoking or non, you choose. <laughs> wow. What's crazy is I literally thought, well, that's going to really bring them in. And then I pulled up to, to our place on the same trip, and on our side, it said, 25-foot banana split this Wednesday night. I thought, what a comparison. Like, Pastor Chris was rocking the 25-foot banana split saying, come on, let's reach in in a way that people can identify and understand. They can be attracted. I, listen, people might not come to church with you because they think I'm like, you know, the normal, I mean, you know, there's not much normal about me on just about any level, but, you know, they might not come to church with you because all that's, you know, I know what church is about, I know what pastors are about, and, and, you know, they might not come to church, but listen, they might come to you, come with you to a fireworks show, and did I mention we're having more than 50 people declare Jesus as Lord tonight? I don't know if you understand, but that might inspire some people who don't know Jesus to stand there because I promise you this, don't give me an audience and not expect me to give a Jesus call. I guarantee at the conclusion of that baptism, I'm going to stand up and say, who here knows you are not right with God and you need to give your life to Jesus right now? I mean, some people are just going to have to walk all night long in wet underwear for Jesus because they're going to get baptized right then and didn't come prepared to do so. We are the point of entry for heaven to invade earth. Listen, this has happened. We've seen people in the crowd of the baptism raise their hand, come forward, like empty their pockets and get in the water, right then baptized, saying, I want to serve Jesus. How many of you believe for salvation tonight? Our elders, our staff, we've been praying over every name of every person being baptized tonight. We're declaring chains will be broken in the name of Jesus. And not only in their life, but there'll be a breakout in the community of faith and in the community in which we live. Come on, victory in Jesus' name. We are the point of entry of heaven invading earth. And, and let me just say, this all happens like, it's cool. Like, you helped with the car show. Thank you. It's awesome. You know, we did that. We did that. It's awesome. But I just want you to know, this happens not just because we applaud it. You knew it was coming. It takes a lot of energy to make this stuff happen. This little march card is how we bring our energy together and we say, I want to show up and help make a difference. This march card is like how you get involved with us. So take that today and fill it out so that we can help plug you in and we can all be family and make a difference. It's our willingness to love, it's our willingness to serve, and it's our willingness to give that makes a difference. It's our willingness to love, it's our willingness to serve, and it's our willingness to give. It does cost money to do the stuff we do, but we're investing in declaring 
let the kingdom expand. The passion of this house is that the kingdom of God will, will expand. I, every time I mention it, people get excited. They come talk with me. Folks, there's 70 acres across the street. And there's going to be a home for unwed mothers over there as an expression of destiny ministry that says we are a people that are going to let heaven invade earth. I believe God's going to give us that, and that is going to take place in the future, in the life of this church expression. How many of you will agree with me? And we'll have faith for that. I believe we need to leave the world a better place. And it's, it's costly to do it. Like we're talking buying land and unless the Lord, you know, gets it just donated to us and building buildings. And, and right now we're in a half a million dollar claim to get all the roofs redone of our 100,000 square feet of facility on this 30 acre property that we have. Like it, we're building buildings so we can build people, but we have to keep building buildings. I don't know if you realize or not, but right behind that coffee shop area out there is a nursery toddler ministry area that's going to be done in Jesus' name. Like, get the kids. I don't know if you have kids over in the classrooms. Promise you the worst thing about our church is dealing with the little kids' ministry over there in classrooms. It is time to step up and step forward and get that facility done on the other side of that coffee shop area for our kids, for this next generation. I thought you'd be a lot happier about this. First service was really happy about this. None of this stuff happens if you and I don't show up with the willingness to declare the resource of my life is going to go to expand the kingdom of God everywhere I go. I'll guarantee any club you're involved in, any place you work, there needs to be a certain sense of expression of life that comes out of who you are. Won't you stand? I believe that you and I are a point of entry from heaven into the earth. It's why we believe and why we declare so readily. We are outrageously loving people who passionately pursue the Lord with irrationally giving lifestyles as we consistently submit to God's desires and effectively disciple others to do the same. Will you say it with me? We are outrageously loving. Stop! Outrageously loving. Not just, I'm polite. Outrageously loving. We are outrageously loving people who passionately pursue the Lord. Stop! Like, not passionately pursue the Lord, like, that's a pretty good song they're singing up there. Right? Or some people more like this. Yep, there's the music. <laughs> right? No, passionately pursue the Lord. Like, your passion looks different than mine. I know I'm a little out there. But, you know, I need to reel it in. You need to reel it out. Let's, you know, passionate. Like, we won't bring casual praise in response to God's extravagant grace. That's who we are. We're passionate. We are outrageously loving people who passionately pursue the Lord with irrationally giving lifestyles. Huh? Like, not slightly generous, not hopeful, helpful, but like ridiculous, ridiculous, irrational. Like, people don't understand. You know why? Because they've not been invaded by heaven declaring God's kingdom is at hand, and this is about eternity, and this is a really important decision that we're making today. 
irrationally giving lifestyles as we consistently submit to God's desires. What? God's desires. Let me just say to you, a lot of religious people are completely disconnected from what the true desires of God's heart are all about. We don't have it all figured out, but we know we don't have it all figured out. Therefore, we're exploring to know this more so. It's not about just right and wrong. We're going to do right. How many of you know if you just do right, then the better you get at doing right, the more you judge people who can't do right as well as you do? That's not what this is about. This is about God's desires. Consistently submit to God's desires, and there it is, effectively disciple others to do the same. Come on, you are a point of entry of heaven getting into earth through your surrendered, available life. I, I want to ask you, let's join together. Let's declare it. We're going to take a few moments, and we always do this, and let me just invite you. Stick it out in these, I mean, like, what, 120 seconds we worship to express something, to say, I've received something from you, Lord. I'm going to do something with it. For you to receive, how many of you receive something from the Lord today? Can I just see, raise your hand, you receive something from the Lord. This is what happens. If you receive and you take in, but you never give out, you have the look of spiritual constipation on your face all the time. got to have an expression. you got to have an expression. Worship is that expression. Giving is that expression. Communion is that expression. With conviction, we began to establish, we're going to come out of this and not just say, hey, thanks for coming. Hope you have a great week. I want you to let your heart be full and overflowing and express something. There is power to be embraced, power to be released. We are the church of the living God. Jesus is not dead. He is alive. And we are a bold declaration that his kingdom has come to the earth. Come on, let's declare it. 